You're listening to the voice of Rowan Prof Sports. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Glassboro. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Offsides, a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports, featuring the diverse perspectives of the Rowan Radio Sports Department. And now, here's your host, Nick Rizzo. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Channel 2. How's everybody doing out there? I'm Nick Rizzo, your Friday host of Offsides, and today I'm joined by fellow members of the sports department, Aiden Doherty, Tom Hill, and someone who's not just a member of the sports department, the sports director here at WGLS-FM, Jack Miller. Boys, how we doing on this fine Friday? <gasps> Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better, Tom? <laughs> yeah, it's a great day. It's warm outside, and actually I could wear some... Uh some short sleeves, so uh, yep, yep. day's feeling pretty good with the with the slight heat coming in. I showed up with a backwards hat. Oh, oh all right, you're, you're getting dangerous, <laughs> relax, Tom. Relax. Tom is getting dangerous <laughs> today. Trolling's crazy already. <laughs> no, I, I hear you though, Jack. I walked outside today. Uh, me and Aiden had a meeting earlier for a uh, all access. And I walked outside in a puffer jacket, fully zipped <laughs> up. I immediately started feeling the heat. I was like, okay, this is not a puffer jacket type of day. But hey, I, I I don't I don't mind it. I'm not complaining. It means spring's getting here faster and faster. So hey, all good vibes over here from me. But we have a lot to talk about today. The NBA trade deadline ended yesterday at 3 p.m. and uh, we have me, myself, Aiden, and Jack. All three of us here are. Well, actually, no. Let me correct myself. Me and Aiden are Sixers fans. <laughs> Jack is an OKC Thunder fan. Tom Hill is a Brooklyn Nets fan. So. All three of our teams made a couple moves yesterday. I'm going to start off with the Sixers here, who, in my opinion, probably got, uh, I want to say the best, but he's definitely a top two player that got moved yesterday at the deadline. Buddy healed, and, I mean, going into this trade deadline, it was kind of up in the air of what the Sixers were going to do with the status of Joel Embiid and his injury. He's expected to miss six to eight weeks with his torn meniscus, just got surgery on that last week. But the Sixers acquired Buddy Heald, traded Marcus Morris, traded Furkan Korkmaz, a couple of picks. And so, you know, the Sixers, they were kind of lacking those volume three-point shooters. And Aiden, I'm going to start off with you being the Sixers fan. And it wasn't just the Buddy Heald move that the Sixers made yesterday, but we're going to get more into that in a second. What was your initial reaction that the Sixers acquired Buddy Heald from the Indiana Pacers? Uh, it was a good move to start the day. I mean, it was the first move in the NBA yesterday, right? And uh, it happened 10.30 a.m. Um, and I was excited. I mean, he's a volume three-point shooter for a team that I actually believe is, has fallen to bottom five in the NBA in three-point attempts and three-point makes. And, you know, Buddy Heald, he has shot. He has had seasons where he shot 10 threes a game almost, and he's kind of at the back end of what he is, but he's still just 31 years old, and, and it gives the Sixers more flexibility in the offseason. I think they could look to resign him, and all of a sudden he's making his debut tonight, which is I mean, he's turning a corner. He's like, I want to play some ball, and I'm excited, man. I think uh, especially when Embiid gets back, uh, something about shooters when Embiid's on the court, it's just like you're, you know you're going to get open looks. So I'm, I'm interested to see – what it truly looks like with Buddy Heald is somebody who's kind of having a downer year, but 
he he contributed to that 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 Pacers offense that was I mean you could say generational with the way they were scoring some nights. Yeah, and I mean I guess the best case scenario for the Sixers now is you get a healthy MB to return come playoff time. You know, ramp up a couple of games before the playoffs. And then, obviously, the the verdict's out. It's no secret. We know Embiid is going to get heavy double teams, sometimes triple team come playoff time. And having Buddy Heald out there on the perimeter is another guy that Embiid can kick it out to. I mean, that that's going to pay huge dividends. And this is all assuming, of course, the Sixers need a healthy Joel Embiid come playoff time because even as it is now with the healthy Embiid, uh, the Sixers were playing very well with him, but the, the East is just so stacked, really – who knows what to make of the East right now? The Knicks made a couple of moves yesterday, which we are going to get into in just a minute. But first, I'm going to segue over to Jack. Your OKC Thunder yeah. <laughs> made a little move yesterday. Got Gordon Hayward. Oh, yeah. What, what's your reaction to that trade? I like Gordon Hayward. Um, did we give up a lot? Yeah, we did. <laughs> but I, I think for uh, Gordon Hayward, once he gets healthy, um, it's going to be a nice addition to the team. Bertans and Mann... They were good. Mitchich, he was okay. Um, he can stay with the Hornets. Um, but <laughs> Trey Mann and Bertans, uh, they 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 were really solid pieces for the Thunder. But the fact that we get Gordon Hayder, uh, Gordon Hayward in return, and we give up two second round picks as well with all five of those or all uh, three of those players, uh, five total things that they gave up. But I mean, it's it, I like Gordon Hayward a lot. Uh, he's going to be really nice along with SGA. Chet Holmgren and uh, Jalen Williams, uh, J Dubs, he's been on this great exponential growth that I've loved to see him at. But then they get you get to add Gordon Hayward to the mix, and one one thing about the Thunder is they've always lacked uh, bigger players, uh, especially since they've started to rebuild. Um, they've always needed help with rebounding and shot blocking. Um, Chet Holmgren coming in this year, absolutely great. Gordon Hayward, he kind of plays at that small forward power forward he's a true forward and he's going to be nice to help along with uh Chet Holmgren and they and Gordon Hayward's been in the league for a long time now so he's definitely a veteran aspect that this young Thunder team needs especially for a guy um for Chet Holmgren and even Jalen Williams who's on the bigger side he plays kind of forward and guard um but his experience is definitely going to help this young Thunder team try and get to where they want to be, and I know it's definitely pretty deep in the playoffs. Absolutely, and hey, on the bright side, your Thunder, just a half a game out of that one seed in the West, and like yeah. you said, the Thunder, very young team. I mean, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's having an excellent season, but still kind of lacks that true playoff experience that you want out of your number one guy. I agree with you. I think Gordon Hayward can really you know, get, give that stability to the Thunder squad and kind of – his veteran leadership is going to pay huge dividends in the playoffs. Yeah, and with SGA, the he has some playoff experience, but not as the main scorer. Right. Like, so he's he's been with the Clippers before his time with the Thunder, and the Clippers they they can they they find ways to get into the into the Western Conference uh into the Western Conference playoff spots and stuff like that. So um, he just hasn't been the guy to lead a team in the playoffs. So. Um, he doesn't have the experience that people are wanting him to have, but he still has it. So I still have faith that this Thunder team can actually go places that they want to return to. Yeah, absolutely. The Western Conference wide open right now. And on top of that, Thunder still have 36 draft picks in the next six years. So I, w I wouldn't say you guys are <laughs> in the worst situation in the world, yeah. but 
I'm going to flip things over to Tom Hill now. Your your Nets made a little minor move yesterday. Got rid of Spencer Dinwiddie, one that many has pegged recently as kind of a me guy, quote unquote. Not really, you know, there's been some there's been some bad reports out there about Spencer Dinwiddie recently. Let, let's just say it how it is. You guys got Dennis Schroeder in return from the Toronto Raptors, someone who was a bit disgruntled in his role with Toronto, you know, went there in the offseason, kind of expecting to be a main starter, play heavy minutes, but kind of came off the bench all season long and you know he wasn't too happy with that voiced his frustrations and he was able to get moved to your nets and you know Brooklyn currently 20 and 31 sitting just outside of uh, the final play-in spot in the east two games out of that final play-in spot does this move move the needle for you at all in terms of your view of the team Tom no not at all although I'll say this <laughs> so the Nets gave up Royce O'Neal to Phoenix and you know it's kind of been a, you know a two-year project that will just hand players to the Phoenix Suns Royce O'Neal gives the Suns nice depth and the Nets it was a three-team trade with Brooklyn Phoenix and Memphis that was a great return by the way yeah David Roddy went to Phoenix from Memphis and Memphis got a first round pick swap in 2026 Chimaze Metsu Yutu Watanabe who's a shooter and the Nets got Kata Bates, Diop, Jordan Goodwin. None of those picks or none of those players, I should say, are really going to be, you know, needle movers as you asked. They do have three future second round picks. I think when you take a look at this Nets team, you know, you have to kind of go back and look at the James Harden move where we gave up all those pick swaps to Houston uh, back when he was disgruntled in the 2020-2021 season. I think this Nets team is kind of now in still in the early stages of getting out of the KD Kyrie. Harden experiment and it's been really tough for this Nets team to try to get back into like a, a rebuilding team they can't completely rebuild and I like Mikel Bridges I don't necessarily know if there were any suitors I think the Knicks were rumored but I don't know if there were any big time suitors I think the for him you'll see maybe talks heat up with Mikel Bridges and I would like to see that because I think the Nets need like a real full rebuild Nick, you mentioned two games out of that last plan, but what's a plan going to really do? You're going to get hammered. Yeah. Or you don't want to be the Chicago Bulls. Exactly. And I think the Nets have kind of been moving. I'm glad they moved Dinwiddie, but this Nets team is is due for an overhaul, and I think they're trying to get out of it because of the KD Kyrie Harden situation. Do you think one thing that's screwing your Nets team over is the fact that you guys keep trying experiments and they keep failing? Because the thing is, is you mean you've had. Garnett, right? You've also, like, Paul Pierce and that huge trade with the Celtics. Are you saying that aging superstars are not the way to go in the NBA? It's, it seems That's like news. it. The Brooklyn it's starting Nets are, a trend in that direction. That's exactly. news to me. How dare they uh, didn't pan <laughs> I mean, out. And those picks that you gave up turned into Jalen Brown and also Jason Tatum. All right, now. So, <laughs> yeah, Tom's getting fed up over here. <laughs> yeah, the Nets the are just a needle in the coffin for him. <laughs> so the, the amount of trolling that part, comes from him all the time, yeah, I have maybe to I deserve it. The thing with the Nets is, I think they don't have any. Like Joe Sy has no intention on holding back. He'll take these big swings, and if it doesn't work, I guess he'll live with it not working for five, six years in order to band those superstars together. Because I'll be honest with you, I know, you know, we saw Nikola Jokic just win a ring without, I guess you really can't call it a super team, but he's a superstar. And Giannis, yep. you really couldn't call the Bucks a super team, but he's a superstar. I think in the NBA, you have to win with superstars. And I don't have any issue with the Nets trying it. It's just when you bring in Kyrie Irving, he is, you know, a generational culture ruiner and team ruiner and... uh but hey, They're trying I, to get out of it. I think Kyrie Irving stated it perfectly the other night after Brooklyn's game against Dallas. You know, 
what if Kyrie doesn't get hurt in that Bucks series? What if KD's foot wasn't on the three-point line in Game 7? We could be looking at a completely different outlook of this Nets team right now. Perhaps they're all still together. Who knows? Yeah. Because it, it, they were looking dominant in that postseason with all three of them up until you know the Kyrie injury. KD went absolutely ballistic in Game 7, but it wasn't enough. But it, I, I agree with you. I, I, I respect the swings that the Nets are making, you know, trying to build these teams. But I, I'm still getting familiar with all these new cap rules that the NBA has. Mm, the you know. CBA is making it tough. Yeah, they're, they're sure. making it tough to kind of build these super teams and buy stars out there. They kind of want you to start, you know, drafting and developing talent and winning that way, which is sort of what Denver did last year when they won the championship drafted Nicole Jokic, drafted Jamal Murray, had them on the team for a number of continuous years, and then they finally got over the hump. So I think that's the route that the NBA wants teams to start taking more and more. But I mentioned earlier that the Sixers, you know, we got we got their high point out of the way, getting Buddy healed. Mm. But they made a couple more rather confusing moves in the eyes of most Sixers fans yesterday. First off, trading Patrick Beverly to the Milwaukee Bucks in exchange for campaign and a second-round pick. Now, I was a guy that said, you cannot trade Pat Beverly at the deadline. This is the type of guy you need on your roster come playoff time. He's got that grit. He has that passion. He, he brings the energy off the bench with the second unit. He's essentially a second coach out there as well for all the young guys. And then the, the Sixers traded Jaden Springer to the Boston Celtics for a second round pick that that is the one that really ju just gave me the final blow where it's like okay what are we doing because we've seen this story before with the Sixers with Isaiah Joe you get rid of Isaiah Joe a young developing talent for essentially nothing and now Isaiah Joe is thriving with the Thunder in the role that he, he couldn't reach with the Sixers for some reason but we Jaden Springer was clearly drafted as a project three years ago He's finally starting to show development and show flashes that he could be a solid NBA player. And even just in our in the Sixers game against the Warriors on Wednesday, Jaden Springer had Steph Curry on locks. Mm -hmm. I, when Jaden Springer was on ball defending Steph Curry, Steph Curry couldn't get anything going. And so Jaden Springer was finally showing his worth and his value and potential in the NBA. And now we trade him to our rival Boston for a, a second-round pick, which is essentially nothing. I mean, maybe Daryl Morey is trying to gear up on these picks to make a big trade in the offseason because we all know the Sixers have tons of cap space in the offseason. A maxi extension is likely coming, but outside of Maxi and Joel Embiid, nobody on this current Sixers roster is going to be on the team next year. So uh, I kind of want to hear your thoughts about this, Aiden. What what do you think what do you think Daryl Morey is planning with these moves? Um I think, look, he's sold the offseason, the, the cap space plan, and, and now they'll have five first-round picks available come offseason. And then that's, you know, the guy we talked about earlier, Mikael Bridges. That's a name that could come up. And I, I've seen rumors that Trey Young could come up. Who knows how that fit would truly work. Um, but Patrick Beverly, like this trade, it's just it's kind of something that Maury sees a different viewpoint than fans and, and kind of locker room perspective is – he looks at this as, look, he looks at Patrick Beverly like a chess piece. Uh, with the move of Buddy Heald and with the likely move of Kyle Lowry coming in via buyout in the next couple weeks or so that I think they kind of are bought into in Kyle Lowry, it kind of moves Patrick Beverly out of the rotation. So 
if you're Daryl Morey and you just look at these players like chess pieces, chess pieces, and not like humans, and 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 a guy that's like you mentioned, a second coach on the court, a great locker room guy, you see this as a free second round pick. Um, and but and that's what he saw. And I think the Jane Springer thing is Daryl Morey. It kind of just comes down to I guess Daryl Morey just doesn't think he's good um, because. For him to just get a second round pick, maybe the NBA thinks that as well, but I don't know. I've seen we've seen in the last two games or so that Jaden Springer has held Steph Curry to zero points in the first quarter for the first time in his career since 2014. Um, last time Steph Curry had zero points in the first quarter, he had no rings. Um, he now has four. And yep. <laughs> he locked down Luca. Luca was held to under twenty. Uh, it was the first time I think the Mavs have won in almost a mu- in, in almost over a month where Luca dropped less than thirty five points. Um, so, look, Darren Morey, he's clearly better have some cooking. I, I'm going to give him until this July first. You know, the, those couple days of the opening off season because I, I don't know what the plan truly will be, but there has to be one, and he has to start. Look, man, I know tampering. You know, you're not allowed to do it. He I, he, better be knowing that he, he has somebody open in the offseason, whether that's Donovan Mitchell having problems with Cleveland's possibly, whether that's Macau Bridges in Brooklyn, whether that's somehow Laurie Markkinen in Utah. Look, they have five first-round picks and about $60 million in cap space this offseason. If there is no solution or there really isn't any free agents unless you really think LeBron's going to come live in Philadelphia. Uh, so uh, Daryl Morey's yeah. got to be cooking up something. I think it's going to be most likely via trade. Um, I just hope that trade isn't, you know, forced because his plan has failed. Yeah, and overall, uh, I-, I was a bit, you know, disappointed yesterday with those two moves that we just talked about, the Patrick Beverly, Jaden Springer moves. But I- now now that the dust has settled and I've thought about this for the past 24 hours, I, I think Daryl Morey actually did a-, a pretty solid job yesterday because he he's – doing a real good job of kind of treading that fine line between not like going all in this season and preventing a big off season move. But he's also trying to keep the team a little bit competitive this season by getting buddy healed, kind of trying to weather the storm while Embiid remains out and possibly as a solid piece for if Embiid comes back this postseason and is healthy. Cause if that is the case, buddy healed will definitely be a big piece of this roster come playoff time. But then also, you didn't get rid of any of your firsts. You acquired a couple more seconds. You still have all this cap space in the offseason. Buddy Heald is on an expiring contract. So, uh, kind of, Maury kind of trying to tread that fine line between competing this season, but also going out and making that big move in the offseason. So, I, I think it was a, a, a good day for the Sixers, but, you know, may, maybe could have been better. We'll see. I mean, time will tell, but. A team that did make some big moves yesterday was the New York Knicks, and they went out and acquired Bogdan Bogdanovich, excuse me, and Alec Burks from the Detroit Pistons to add to an already deep roster. We all know they went out and got OG Ananobi a month ago. They have Jalen Brunson, who is continuing to ascend and become a superstar in this league. They have Julius Randle, who's currently injured but will be back before the postseason. And if you look at the Knicks, they currently sit at 33-19 and 19 in that four seed in the East. They're just two games out of the two seed, which is where Cleveland is right now. And notably, since the OG Ananobi trade, they have just been on an absolute tear. 16-3 and three since that Ananobi trade, the Knicks are. And so they're looking like a true force in the East. Jack, I'll flip this over to you now. 
what are your thoughts about this current Knicks team, especially after those moves yesterday? Can they truly push the current favorite Boston for that Eastern Conference crown? Yeah, it's going to be tough for the Knicks. Um, I, was, I remember Jordan mentioning this, and I totally agree with him when he said it in our sports department group chat, was that it seems like they have a lot of talent, but you have a lot of talent that you got to split these minutes up with. And it's hard to figure out if you are the uh if you are the Knicks who gets what who gets what minutes who what rotations do you put out and you also have a ton of injuries where the roster is going to change and it's a lot of big names too that they have on that injury list you have Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson so those guys uh even with Hartenstein he's developed to be a really solid defender yeah he can pick pockets of some centers as well as block them um, and he can get you double-digit points and rebounds. He's been doing great. So there's a lot to work with for the Knicks. I have I have a really bad feeling that this could go sideways for them just because of the talent and the minutes, rotations, all that. Like, it's mixing that all together is going to be tough, and I think they'll find a way to figure it out, but I think it might be too late, and it might hurt them in the playoffs. I'm not sure. I just have this 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 gut feeling is just telling me that the Knicks might win one series and that's it. But that uh, and I don't think they want to be that team that only wins one round for playoffs and then leave in the second. I think that they are they're they're in second place and the Knicks want to get to at least the Eastern Conference Finals this year, especially the way that Jalen Brunson has been playing. So. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that that's where they want to go, but I don't see them reaching that goal that these Knicks fans want to see them. Yeah, and to be honest, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if, number one, if they do just win one series and then lose in the second round, or if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and push you know a Boston or whoever else to a, a really tough series. Because, it, like you said, the like – it is a bit weird right now with their rotation, and the East is very deep. It's proven to be very deep, especially if Embiid comes back for the playoffs. You know, Miami is currently in the seventh seed, but we all know they're going to turn up the heat come playoff time. No pun intended there. <laughs> that that was that, that was pretty solid, though. But <laughs> I, I like that one. But, yeah, the East is just it, – it's a very deep conference, as is the West. And, you know, really just – I think we're kind of getting away from the, the old days of, you know – Golden State Cleveland part four you know those two teams in the finals four straight years I think the NBA is really starting to shift there's a lot of talent in the NBA and it's really wide open so but you know credit to the Knicks and James Dolan they're doing everything that they possibly can to stay competitive in that Eastern Conference and there's one more team that I want to highlight before we move on to some NFL talk and that's the Dallas Mavericks now I've went on record on both offsides and on the and one podcast hosted by Aiden Doherty and Aiden Butler that I wanted the Mavericks to go out there and, and get that presence down low, specifically Pascal Siakam. I thought the Mavs missed an opportunity to go out and get Siakam, you know, kind of as that as that front court presence with Luca, with Kyrie Irving. But hey, Dallas went out and got some front court presence yesterday for much cheaper than what Pascal Siakam's price was. First, Daniel Gafford from the Wizards, and then P.J. Washington from the Hornets. And I'm just sitting here picturing Luka lobbing those passes up to (laughs) Daniel Gafford and P.J. Washington. That is going to be poetic. But, you know, Dallas, they finally have that frontcourt presence. I I thought Dallas, along with the Knicks, were the two teams that won the deadline yesterday. 
And Dallas currently sits in that eighth seed in the West, but they're they're only two games out of the five seed. The West is extremely tight. You have the one through four in the West separated by just one game, and then the five through eight seed separated by just two games. So the Western Conference really could see a shakeup uh, moving forward towards the end of the year. Tom Hill, what are your thoughts on Dallas's moves yesterday? And how high do you think they can climb in the Western Conference standings with this new-look roster? Well, first of all, I love the Gafford edition. I think he's quietly a phenomenal defensive center. You know, double-double, right around the double-double he's averaging for the season. I think that gives them so much more depth because now they don't have to play Dwight Powell at the center position. So that's two ads right there. Um, And then you take a look at P.J. Washington. You know, he's a little bit inconsistent playing with Charlotte, but he's a stretch four. He could score a little bit. And I think this Dallas team, you know, it gives them a whole lot more depth because, you know, we look at them on the offensive side with Luka and Kyrie, and nobody questions them there. But I think they needed a little bit more physical presence down low, and I think they've got that, especially with Gafford in Washington. I think they did a phenomenal job uh, getting rid of Grant Williams, Seth Curry, you know, it is what it is, but I think P.J. Washington and then getting some second-round picks in the trade with Charlotte, I think they did a phenomenal job. And, Nick, to your point, I think the Knicks also did a really good job. Obviously, the OG Ananobi trade last month has really propelled that team. And to Jack's point, you know, with the Knicks, it will be interesting to see what happens to them in the postseason. You know, they, they played Dallas tough the other night in New York. Uh, DiVincenzo had a great game. Josh Hart had a triple-double. They you know, didn't have Randall, didn't have Brunson. You know, they haven't had Robinson pretty much, you know, for most of the season. But I think this Knicks team, it's going to be interesting because Thibodeau, you know, his knock has been he plays his stars a little bit too much and kind of burns them out in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see with this Knicks team and what happens with Brunson and Randall and obviously Randall's health, making sure all of that is, you know, under check because I think this Knicks team is really special and I think – they could come out of the East. I, I don't think that's that ridiculous to say. Maybe if they get a break or two with injuries to other teams, I think they could come out of the East. I completely agree. And I, especially for someone like myself, who's not a big believer in Boston, you know, I think come playoff time, there's just, there's other coaches out there that I trust more than Joe Missoula. And, you know, it doesn't all come down to coaching. Obviously it comes down to the talent you have as well, but I, coaching plays a huge part in it. And we saw it last year. The with the the Sixers series first off, Joe Mazzulla, you know, he he didn't do a gr- a good job in that Sixers series at all. He basically handed the Sixers a couple of those games, and then in Miami, Boston faltered, went down three zero, almost made a miraculous comeback. In you know they forced a game seven, but ultimately it wasn't able to get it done. And it's kind of a I'll believe it when I see it thing with Boston. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Knicks do make it out of the Eastern Conference. But on that note, we are going to take a quick step off here on Offsides. When we come back, we are going to talk some NFL, the NFL Awards show last night, and also the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. We'll be right back on Offsides. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Channel 2. No matter who we are or where we come from, we all experience difficulties in life. Military veterans know that sometimes it takes strength and determination to make it through. 
Whether it's physical challenges or struggles on the inside, it takes strength to ask for help when you need it. Learn how veterans like us have reached out for help and hear stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM, Channel 2. I'm Nick Rizzo, your Friday host of Offsides, joined by Tom Hill, Aiden Doherty, and Jack Miller, WGLS-FM Sports Director. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm honestly, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, Jack. I wasn't expecting you to come on the show, you know, as a sports director, but hey, thanks for, ha- thanks for uh, joining me here. Yeah. I was feeling good today because of this warm weather, and I said, you know what? I haven't been a guest on Offsides in a little bit, so you know what? I'll hop on and join the uh, the guy, Tom Hill, who was always trolling me to my right, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Hill. Or, uh, not Mr. Hill. You are Mr. Hill. Doherty to my left. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to join and uh, talk about this NFL stuff, too, specifically. We got the uh, the game this Sunday and the NFL Awards show last night. So uh, and Absolutely. I'm happy about how some of the awards turned out, I'll say that much, and uh, we'll get into it a little later. But, yeah, um, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about, especially with football. Love football, but it's ending soon, unfortunately. All right, well, let's segue right into that. I'll, I'll, I'll keep things here with you, Jack. Okay. NFL Awards show last night. It was a big night for the Cleveland Browns. I'll say that. You have Coach of the Year, Kevin Stefanski, Assistant Coach of the Year, Jim Schwartz, Miles Garrett, the Defensive Player of the Year, and Joe Flacco, the Comeback Player of the Year. But really headlining things was Lamar Jackson winning Most Valuable Player for the second time in his career. It's an interesting stat. Lamar Jackson now has two MVP awards, but only two playoff wins to show for it. And another year where he gets the MVP where he wasn't able to get it done in the postseason. But that's a that's a story for another day. But, yeah, Lamar Jackson, his second career MVP award. To me, that, I mean, there, there wasn't really another choice that you could have went with other than Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. But it, it still kind of feels boring to me. Lamar Jackson really didn't step onto the scene of the MVP race until very late in the season. And it was mostly because the Ravens were just straight up dominating anyone that came in their way, which is a testament to the quarterback and Lamar Jackson, because that doesn't happen if your quarterback isn't playing at an elite level. But if you look at the stats, they, they just weren't, you you don't look at these stats and they, they don't scream MVP to you. Lamar Jackson threw for just over 3,600 yards passing. And he threw, for just 24 passing touchdowns. So, uh, like I said, those stats don't really scream out MVP to you. Not saying he didn't deserve it, but it was. I'm, I'm just getting to the point where it was kind of a weird year for quarterbacks and for the whole NFL uh, landscape because there was lots of injuries this year, especially at the quarterback position. But, Jack, I would say Lamar Jackson certainly deserved that MVP award last night. Yeah, and going to the MVP story of how this kind of broke down to why – Lamar was the MVP this season. It all started honestly with everyone saying that Jalen Hurts was going to be MVP. I'm sorry, Doc, but that's that's what was going to happen. Um, but we had a, a fair amount of losses, and it kind of cooked his chances. Right then, it went to Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, he he's probably going to be the MVP, right? Then he has a few losses towards the end of the season that that cooks him. Then 
it's Brock Purdy. Then the but there's a narrative of Brock Purdy not even being the best player on his team. That cooks him. So right. then it ends up into the lap of Lamar Jackson. Obviously, someone else wanted Josh Allen to be MVP. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and apparently he's a Bills writer as well. Of course. And so, <laughs> of course. But um, yeah. So he should. I, honestly, he should have been two time unanimous. Should have happened. It should have happened. But no, it he's have. not. Um, it should not have. But but Josh Allen for MVP, yes, like 100%. over Lamar. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I think the only thing, and I kind of stole this talking point from Jack. Sorry, Nick. Um, <laughs> no, the only thing, thing that you know, when you take a look at the MVP award, I think they do kind of maybe hit narratives a little bit more than stats. I think Josh Allen, you know, far and away the best quarterback this season. I thought he had a better season than Lamar Jackson. I thought he had a better playoffs than Lamar. And I just think that the Bills starting off so pedestrian and then they fired their offensive coordinator. And I also think the narrative around Allen is he's a turnover machine. And I do think that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens team was better than Allen and the Bills. But I think Allen had a better individual season than Jackson. I think he should have had this award wrapped up. I think if the Bills were not mid until about week 11, I think this would have been Allen's award. But I think the headline, the narrative, you know, the team stat, the team, that's kind of who they typically go with. They go with the player on the better team and and yeah. Jack to your point it's been a weak year for quarterbacks so it's not like Allen completely you know was overwhelmingly the yeah. best quarterback this season but I thought he was number one yeah and there was a, a ton of injuries for other quarterbacks as well this season where they they were going down as well I mean we could have had other quarterbacks in this conversation to be MVP I mean we could have had Chris McCaffrey in this MVP conversation could have had Anthony Richardson too if he stayed healthy <laughs> okay <laughs> you don't have to troll dog that's literally his second favorite player so but um anyways yeah for I, but what I'm, I am happy for the Browns though as a whole I know we're just talking about Lamar Jackson and the main reason I think Lamar Jackson probably was more of the unanimous guy was because he had the better team honestly the better defense which is weird to say. That's the the better team with the better defense made the quarterback MVP. And it was weird, yeah, as you said, Nick, 24 touchdowns passing for Lamar Jackson gives him 49 votes for an MVP and wins it just by a hair for unanimous. But mm-hmm. uh, shout-out to the Browns, though. They got four awards last night. I mean, you yeah. get Miles Garrett, another depoy, right? And then you get uh, comeback player of the year for Joe Flacco, and then... Coach of the year and assistant coach of the year as well. I mean that's that's huge, and I'm and I'm I'm honestly so happy that uh, Joe Flacco got comeback player of the year. I really think that he deserved it. I uh, okay, so I, I kind of want to piggyback off of that because me and Aiden Doherty were talking about this briefly earlier about this whole comeback player of the mm-hmm. year debate. Obviously, preseason, Demar Hamlin was the heavy favorite after the incident that happened with him late last season. And it's remarkable that he was able to come back on Buffalo and continue to, you know, play football because that was a scary situation for him. But Joe Flacco comes off the couch late in the season, plays five regular season games for the Browns and performs well in them and leads them to the playoffs, you know, despite all the odds being stacked against Cleveland. I think that's also one of the main reasons why Kevin Stefanski won coach of the year. He was able to lead that team to the playoffs despite all their injuries but Aiden Doherty, what what are your what are your thoughts on the comeback player of the year award? Look, man, Joe Flacco, South Jersey legend. I I know you know it, Nick. Um, but 
With all due respect, he wasn't even in my top two. Um, I think DeMar Hamlin, like, the fact that he played another snap of football, I don't. there, there shouldn't be a debate of if he was good at football when he came back. Um, he, he played another snap, and, and, you know, he's a special teams player. He was always a special teams player. He was always that third, fourth safety uh, on the field if they needed it. And then you look at, like, look, if you don't want to give it to him, a guy who literally came back from, like, pretty much death, didn't win comeback player of the year. I mean, like, like, come on. And then Baker Mayfield, I mean, had one heck of a year. Uh, and I think he deserved it over Flacco. Flacco, if he did it through the whole season, I would have given to him over Baker Mayfield. But that's what Baker did the whole season. Uh, he, he was he was slinging it all year long. And, look, I, I think if you were not going to give it to DeMar, you should have given it to Baker Mayfield. Yeah, being the scout team quarterback for the worst organization in all of sports in the Carolina Panthers. And then – the next year leading, you know, another NFC South team to a playoff win and kind of rewriting, you know, the narrative around Baker. I think, you know, it was it was negative and then he kind of has that underdog where he'll win a game that he probably shouldn't or have like a good stretch that he probably shouldn't. But Doc, to your point, I just have no real understanding of why they didn't give it to a player who needed some air just to stay alive last season in a big game on Monday night football. I think that was just pretty much a lock. But if you're going to give it to the guy that just sucked less than he did last season, I mean, Baker just <laughs> sucked less than – or Baker was better this season than Flacco is what I'm trying to say. So I, I don't know. I just don't understand what the criteria – I guess if the criteria was, you know, Tamar Hamlin isn't an elite player, but he did – come back from death but we're just not going to give it to him I don't know maybe they just felt that the Browns were a more bleak situation than Tampa Bay that would be the only thing that I could think of I mean I'll be completely honest with this right obviously yeah DeMar Hamlin came back from death right my thing is though is that I think if Joe Flacco played the whole year he had a chance of having a, a MVP conversations like legit, he he played at such a great level that we haven't really seen, especially from the Browns, right? And the Browns have always struggled, besides with Deshaun Watson, with quarterbacks. It's been a it's been a tough conversation for the for the Browns when it comes to quarterbacks. And he was passing so well, and it kind of fell apart in the Texans. The Texans just had their number. D'Amico Ryan's defensive minded coach just knew what to do, but in those regular season games, he was balling out. I mean, we, we were seeing scores at halftime that we would see the Browns score in a single game when they went 0-16. So I think that this that Joe Flacco deserved it just from a playing standpoint. And comeback play of the year, I think, to some voters, is probably most improved player of the year. And I understand that Comeback player of the year, I mean, we saw Alex Smith come back, play well, right? Um, and so with DeMar Hamlin being coming back from death, right, You, I understand the point of why he should be comeback player of the year, but I do think that some people think comeback player of the year is a mix of coming back but also playing and improving at a pretty well level. And he 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 could have been a easily a, an MVP vote like an MVP caliber type of quarterback if he played the whole season with the Browns. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, and me me and my friends were having this conversation before the year. 
you know, kind of kind of going back and forth between, you know, should it be a lock that DeMar Hamlin wins it? Because he, he was viewed as the heavy favorite preseason. And I, I said, not only will DeMar Hamlin win it, but the award will be renamed as the DeMar Hamlin Comeback Player of the Year. I just mm-hmm. thought that would, would, that would look, that would have been kind of fire. I'm not going to lie. I thought but. it was just that much of a lock, but hey. I was proven wrong. And Vegas, Vegas made the call, man. That's why I saw some people on the timeline saying last night on Twitter. <laughs> they made they're the saying, call. They're saying Vegas, <laughs> Vegas made a lot of money last night. Yeah, hey, it's an interesting conversation, and congratulations to Joe Flacco. A recap of the awards last night: Lamar Jackson MVP, Christian McCaffrey. So Lamar Jackson MVP, Christian McCaffrey Offensive Player of the Year, Miles Garrett Defensive Player of the Year. C.J. Stroud, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Will Anderson Jr., Defensive Rookie Ooh. of the Year. Uh, Jalen Carter got hey, We'll have a better career. We're all right. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and then Kevin Stefanski, Coach of the Year. And Joe Flacco, Comeback Player of the Year. But now we're going to segue into some Super Bowl talk. The big game is this Sunday at 630. The Kansas City Chiefs facing off against the San Francisco 49ers. And I've seen a lot of people that are heavy on the Chiefs on Sunday. And it's not even a a, a conversation about, you know, the whole Vegas thing. It's just a matter of Patrick Mahomes. You you simply can't bet against him. And that's that's at the point that I'm at right now where I doubted Patrick Mahomes would get it done against Baltimore, who had the better roster, in my opinion, overall than the Kansas City Chiefs. But that Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Travis Kelsey magic just simply got it done. And, they continue to get it done year after year after year, even as their roster gets less and less superior each and every year. It, you you could make the argument that from their first Super Bowl to now, their roster has gotten worse every single year, which is what I believe. I believe this was the year that the Chiefs fielded out their worst roster of the Mahomes era, yet they're back in the Super Bowl. It, it's just absolutely unbelievable Patrick Mahomes will be going for his third ring on Sunday. And so, uh, Aiden, I'll, I'll start things off with you here. What, what's mm-hmm. your overall assessment of this game, and how do you think things are going to play out in Las Vegas? I think you got to start with the experience of both teams, obviously. Uh, I think the Niners have been here. It's kind of, honestly, pretty much the same team, it feels like, since 2020. A lot of their yeah. core players, except it's obviously a new quarterback, and Christian McCaffrey. And Tredavious Ward is now on the other side of the sideline, <laughs> yeah. uh, which he had some comments about that, but I don't really care to go into them. But uh, uh, I think it's hard to doubt Patrick Mahomes, like you were saying. Uh, I can't doubt Patrick Mahomes. I have never been right when I doubt Patrick Mahomes, but sometimes I'm wrong when, I, when I'm when i on a side. But, again, you'll never be right if you doubt Patrick Mahomes. And I think the Niners, look, they didn't look good against the Packers. They didn't look good against the Lions until the very end. And I don't think a team like the Chiefs, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, who Andy Reid has a lot of experience, you know, kind of blowing those leads, leaving the door open for the team trailing. But that was more of his older days. He's learned from that. I don't think the Niners can pull that off again. So I think if the Niners are going to win this Super Bowl, it's going to be getting hot early, getting on the board early, because the Chiefs can kind of control that line of scrimmage because I think they have the better defense. I think they have the better offensive line, and I think you could argue that they might run for more yards, even with a worse running back. But Pacheco is a very good running back at that, and 
I think they they can control the trenches, and that's where games are won. I mean, I think Chris Jones is going to ball out. I, I think we all know about Travis Kelsey, and you know uh, there might be a Disney movie happening uh, post game on that. And but I, I it's hard to doubt any of these any of these Chiefs players. And I love Legarius Sneed. Uh, he just had a kid. I'm I'm expecting a big Super Bowl from him, locking down Debo, locking down Ayuk. And I, I it's it's hard not to pick the Chiefs, but it, the Niners really are you know, arguably better on paper, um, but the game's not played on paper. And I think Patrick Mahomes defies paper. Uh, yeah. Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, I think that's all you really need in that running game. I mean, you, you just said it perfectly. The The game is not played on paper, especially when you're playing Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I just keep getting flashbacks to last year's Super Bowl because, you know, we all knew Mahomes was great last year. And not not just last year, but I'm saying like throughout his whole career. But you know, obviously he had that mishap against Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl, where the Chiefs just got absolutely dominated. And let's just say it how it is: the Eagles were the clear better team overall last year over Kansas City. And so I think Eagles fans kind of you know got a little bit too confident in their ability to win that football game against Kansas City in the Super Bowl last year, myself included. I, I did not take into account the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And, you know, the Eagles didn't have as much experience on their sideline as the Chiefs did on their sideline in terms of the coaching. And in that second half, Andy Reid just took Jonathan Gannon to school. And, you know, it's it's just what happened. And if you look back to the 2020 Super Bowl with Kansas City and San Francisco, San Francisco – much like the Eagles last year, were very dominant throughout the first half of that game. But then in the second half, Kansas City took advantage of a couple mistakes that San Francisco made, specifically on the offensive end. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, a couple missed throws here and there, and then Kansas City gets back on offense and takes advantage of it. I see a similar situation playing out on Sunday where, you know, we've seen throughout the playoffs Brock Purdy has made a couple mistakes that could have been very costly for the Niners, but... You know, they were able to escape against Green Bay. Darnell Savage drops what would have been a pick six. You know, against Detroit, Brock Purdy, the ball that should have been intercepted but goes off the face mask of the Detroit defender and into Brandon Ayuk's hands. These are things that could have completely shifted the landscape of those games. And you simply cannot make those mistakes if you're Brock Purdy in the 49ers against Patrick Mahomes because he is almost certainly going to take advantage of them. So... What would you say, Jack, is the keys of the game for the San Francisco 49ers to come out on top? Uh, they can't make mistakes because if you make one mistake, especially in that second half, it, like if you make a mistake in the second half, you're pretty much screwed because we saw last year in the Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes went pretty much drive for drive with Jalen Hurts, and, and he did not, and they kept scoring in that second half, and they they were even down 10 at halftime back in the pandemic year with the 49ers when in 54 so you have to make sure that when you're in the second half for against Patrick Mahomes you cannot make a mistake one mistake and you could be screwed and for the chiefs you have to take control in the in the first half if you're not in control in the first half and you know that you can play exceptionally well in the second half you're kind of screwing yourself over. But, again, you can't doubt Patrick Mahomes. I'm not doubting Patrick Mahomes. I think that 
that Patrick Mahomes is winning his third ring on Sunday uh, in Vegas because I've doubted him. I'm same boat as you. I doubted him last year. Thought the Eagles were going to win. I was happy they were up 24-14 at halftime. Kind of stoked that I could be celebrating on in the streets of Philadelphia with everybody else. But no, uh, Patrick Mahomes ripped that away from me, and now we're talking about a Eagles Super Bowl loss. So, um, but with Patrick Mahomes, I, I I've doubted him too much. Where I kind of learned that you can't doubt him anymore. You gotta, you have to, kind of keep yourself on edge with Patrick Mahomes with uh, just doubting him because if you don't, he's gonna he's gonna bite you in the butt. So. I think that he's winning ring number three on Sunday. I would have to agree with you, Jack. And, you know, for San Francisco, it, it, you, it's simple. You cannot fall behind early because even if no. you don't fall behind early and you get ahead, you, you're still never in the clear with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid on the other sideline. And so, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I, I cannot doubt Patrick Mahomes again. It's kind of reaching that – you know, dare I say it, but it's kind of reaching that Tom Brady status where every time he's out there, he's you there. know that he always has a chance to win that football game, no matter what the score is, no matter how much time's left, no matter who's the opposition, you have Tom Brady on your team, which means you're always going to have a fighting chance. And so with that, Tom, I'm going to throw things over to you. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Give me your observations. Does Patrick Mahomes get ring number three on Sunday? Yes, he does. Yes, he does, and I'm kind of agreeing with the panel on this. We're all kind of aboard on the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs have done a phenomenal job on the defensive side with Spags and you know McDuffie and Snead on the back end and their front seven. Chris Jones is obviously an animal. I think San Francisco is going to fall behind. Nick, you said they can't. I think they will. I don't think they're going to be able to catch up in this game. I could see this being a game where Kansas City leads, you know, 14-7, to 17-7 to 7 at the half, and then they just kind of salt it away with Pacheco. You know, ball control, time control. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to have, you know, the big pop plays that we typically see him uh, you know, throughout his career. And I think similar to the Eagles Super Bowl last year, you know, it felt kind of like even at 24 to 14, it didn't really necessarily feel like Patrick Holmes was doing too much. I think the San Francisco Super Bowl back in 2019, we saw, you know, the big home runs because they were trailing. I don't think they're going to be trailing in this game. I think Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, that defense with Spags, I think they win, a, you know, a tight game 27-24 or like 24-21. All right, 27-24 Chiefs. For Tom Hill, Jack, what do you think? So I'm thinking it's going to be closer. I would say it's more of a seven-point ball game. I think it's going to be 27 to 20. But going back to your point, they they have the 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 tapes now of what the Detroit Lions did in the first half. They manhandled the 49ers and only held them to seven and scored a crap ton. So they have all the tape now that they need. It's just a matter of executing. So, uh, but I do think that um, Andy Reid and Spags do their homework very well. And they'll be winning by at least seven. I'll go 27-20. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And you mentioned, you know, the first half for Detroit, you know, straight-up dominance in that first half against San Fran from Detroit. And, you know, maybe, you know, uh, not as experienced as a coaching staff over in Detroit. You know, you got Dan Campbell. This is only his third year being a head coach. Ben Johnson, he's a very young uh, offensive coordinator and then the defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn as well very young so maybe Detroit you know kind of buckled up a little bit once San Fran started uh, getting some momentum and putting the pressure on Detroit 
But I just simply don't see that happening with Kansas City. Aiden Doherty, what's your score prediction? <laughs> I actually had the same exact score as Tom, 27-24, and uh, I just want to say Legereus Sneed will be forcing a very big turnover in this game. And, okay. Uh, how about them? Chiefs. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And, yeah, Aiden Doherty, you, you, you've been kind of on this bandwagon for uh, – well, not the bandwagon. you kind of been on this train for weeks now saying, okay, let's just get Mahomes his third ring and we'll just toss the season in the yeah, trash we're can. We're glossing and, over this season. <laughs> yeah. And then the Eagles will be back. And, then, and yeah. we'll be all right. And then the Eagles will be back next year. Hopefully we have a, you know, a better injury luck next year, specifically with quarterbacks. And, you know, hopefully Patrick Mahomes can – be relatively stopped next haven't year. seen a Mahomes ring in a year I'm having some withdrawals <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right enough out of you Tom <laughs> but uh I'm gonna go 31 21 Chiefs I, I just think you know San Francisco has the better roster I mean that's clear right but well it in my opinion at least it's clear I think we all have the consensus consensus that San Francisco has the better roster overall but you know, like you said, Tom, I agree with you. I think Kansas City is going to jump on San Fran early, much like Green Bay and Detroit did. And, you know, and Kansas City did it against Baltimore last week, too. Once Kansas City went ahead and their defense started locking down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, you kind of knew. Like, you knew in the back of your mind, okay, th this isn't going to end well for Baltimore. And so I think the Chiefs are going to go ahead early. I think San Fran will show some flashes offensively, but not nearly consistently enough to be able to get it done. I think it'll be a close game into the fourth, but, you know, same thing. In the back of your mind, close game, but you still know, okay, the Chiefs are going to get this done. They're going to find a way to get this done. They've been the dominant team all night long, and I think Kansas City scores a late field goal or touchdown to kind of pad that lead a little bit, thus the 10-point victory. But that'll do it for us today here on Offsides. I'm your Friday host, Nick Rizzo, joined today by Tom Hill, Aiden Doherty, and WGLS-FM Sports Department Sports Director Jack Miller. Thank you all very much for tuning in and listening. I hope you all have a great weekend and have some fun watching the big game because, you know, it's America's day, and whenever there's a Super Bowl, it's always going to be a classic and it's always going to be etched in the history books so have a good time with your family and friends watching the big game this weekend i'm nick rizzo and i'll talk to you all next friday you've been listening to offsides a weekly roundtable discussion about the world of professional sports featuring the diverse perspectives of the rowan radio sports department tune in next monday wednesday and friday from 5 to 6 p.m for another edition of Offsides, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. <laughs>